pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching a message from Matthew chapter 8 verses 1 through 4 and the message is called Jesus is able but is he willing we hope you are blessed by the message today Father thank you for your perfect word it is exactly what we need today so we pray you would open our spiritual understanding to see what you are teaching us through your word and that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. Remind us today who you are. Uh, get our thoughts and our pride out of your way, out of the way, so that you might speak to us and that we would hear you clearly. Impress upon us, God, the things that we are to obey and how we are to respond in faith to your word today. Use me, Lord, to speak your word and fill this church with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, again, it's so good to be back and to see, our, see my church family. Been away for a couple weeks, so those of you who aren't aware of the, the missions team that just left, we came uh, back last night, flew into Boston at about 2.30 in the afternoon from a connecting flight in Doha, Qatar, where we had a 19-hour layover, and before that, we were uh, in Kathmandu, Nepal. So we were in two cities, Kathmandu and, pa- and Pokhara. Um, we were there for about, I guess, nine days total once you cut off the travel time. And uh, all of us are here except for our brother, John Wyman. He caught a nasty cold from somewhere in the country over there. And it's, uh, we all had a little something. Owen uh, fought with some stomach issues while he was there. They say that once, when you get a team there, usually one out of, usually somebody ends up fighting with something in their stomach. And Owen, Owen was that one. Where's Owen? Congratulations, Owen. <laughs> yeah, he, he was a champ though. He had to miss a couple days and stay back um, in the hotel to just rest, but it was worth it. Um, you can't drink the water there if, unless it's like, unless you're guaranteed that it's been filtered by like a very, very good system. Either the, they say don't drink it unless you hear the bottle crack um, because they'll even refill bottles with unfiltered water and you can get pretty, pretty nasty. You have to shower with your mouth closed. Isn't that crazy? Just the things that you have to do there. I, I came home and I was just like, ah, you know. <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. Um, the Christians in Nepal, I'm not going to share a lot. We're going to have another night where we get together, and I'm gonna, I hope all of you will come to hear um, what, what we all have to share. God really did do amazing things in our team and through us, uh, teaching us things to take back here and apply to our lives, but hopefully things that will affect this whole church body, because it was incredible. Um, but the Christians in Nepal, the, the, specifically the organizations that we support through Mana Worldwide, we got to meet them. They, have, they actually have faces. Uh, we don't just send them money. Um, they are real people that are doing the work of the Lord, and it is incredible what God is doing there in Nepal. He certainly seems to be drawing my heart, not to move there, but to at least prayerfully consider how to be more involved in Nepal uh, to help Christians. I got to meet a lot of pastors. Um, they have uh, such a heart for, for Jesus in a place that's not easy to be a Christian. It is not easy. It's illegal to convert uh, 18 and under to Christianity, and it's, you can be arrested for preaching the gospel publicly, um, but they do it. Just a small taste, I was just sharing with a couple people, 
The children in these homes that are becoming Christians as they hear the gospel, they go back home to Hindu families that worship false gods in their home, generational false gods. And these children have to go home and say, I worship Jesus now. He is the one true God. And so they are at risk of persecution. They're at risk of being ostracized by their own family. Um, These are the kids that we met, and you would not believe the joy on their faces, the joy of worshiping Jesus every day, every night, um, despite the fact that they can be um, harmed uh, for their faith. And that's just a small taste, all right? But God is at work there, and I'm so glad to be home where God is also at work here. God is at work here. It's It's not as though... We went there to see God working in ways that we never see him working here. It's just different. And it was good to see. It was good to see. So when we begin to talk about our next trip to Nepal, I'm just curious. Anybody already planning on going on the next trip or would like to go on the next trip? Raise your hand if that's you. One, two, three, four. Oh, yeah. Kelsey and David, you guys are good. <laughs> um, I hope, I hope that you will be convinced that it's worth going. It's worth going. It's comfortable here in Maine. Yes, we know the world is in chaos. By the way, we flew through Qatar uh, and nobody died. And the Hamas leader lives there. We're, we were fine. God was gracious to us. Uh, we actually, we even ate shawarma in the city. It was amazing. Um, and uh, they ask you where you're from and you're like, should I tell them I'm from the States? Uh, well, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, we're from America, you know. God is so good. I'm, I'm just glad to be back now preaching the word. So we're going to be in Matthew 8, where our sister Colleen has read. And we are now out of this big section that we've been in for some time. The Sermon on the Mount is, has been finished up. Isaac did an amazing job preaching it last week. Did he not? Was it not a blessing? God, did he? Yes, we can. That's <laughs> good. Praise God. John and I, in the hotel room, we listened live while you guys were here, so we did uh, get to participate um, as, as best as we could. But now we're moving into a different section where Jesus has proven his power and his authority through his teaching, through his words. He just finishes the word, the word as he's been preaching, and they, they, say t- they say that it's such authority. What power, what authority this man has. He teaches not like the scribes and the Pharisees. And now we're going to see his power through his actions and through his deeds and his miracles and the dealings with, that he has with, with his disciples. And it's just such an incredible, incredible section. So we pick up here in chapter 8, verse 1, and it says, he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. So let's just pause there for a moment because this is, it's significant as he's finishing his teaching, we know that there were potentially thousands of people listening. His disciples were his audience, but there were no doubt scribes, Pharisees, uh, Jewish people, people of all walks potentially coming and hearing this man teach. He's drawing crowds to himself. And as he leaves and he comes down the mountain, says, great crowds followed him. We know his disciples are in the midst of the crowd, and in in this teaching, we know there's another individual who's in this crowd. So I think it's important to just recognize that there are different kinds of followers of Jesus. There are different kinds of followers. Some followers want to be part of the crowd and blend in. 
If you are a blend-in kind of a Christian and you just go with the crowd, which a lot of people do that, it's, a, it's an option that many take, and perhaps some of you in this room are taking that option right now, that I will be a Christian, but I don't want to be the one that comes out of the crowd to worship Jesus. I'm going to just be in the crowd. There, that is an option that you have, and you are taking a low-risk option. You have very little risk of losing anything because you're not coming out into the open so that others can see you worship and others can see your adoration and your awe of Jesus, the Christ. There's low risk of failure because you're not taking the step of faith to come out and worship and obey and follow Jesus. So there's low risk of failure. But is that the part that Jesus wants you to play? As a Christian, a follower, What is a follower supposed to look like? And I just wanted to leave that on your minds to think about as we begin. Jesus comes down the mountain and great crowds are following him. And we're gonna see today a story of a leper, of one who comes out of the crowd, one who does take that step of faith, a huge risk, a risk of all sorts of loss and maybe rejection and failure. So is that who Christ wants you to be? Who are you in this story? Are you part of the crowd or are you someone who is going to step out and finally say, Jesus, I need you. I'm yours. So out of the crowd comes a leper. Look and see what it says. Verse two, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, If you are willing, or if you will, you can make me clean. So we're going to talk a little bit about the leper himself. We're going to talk a little bit about the disease. We're going to kind of break apart some of the characters and what's going on in just these few short verses. The disease itself, the the Bible is not quiet on it. And if you've ever studied a little bit about it in the scriptures, you know that this was not just a normal skin disease. But oftentimes, the Bible will refer to some sort of external skin condition as leprosy, any sort. But there was certainly an extreme version of this that Jewish leprosy had a reputation. The leprosy that was in Judaism, that was, that was, there was instruction given regarding it very thoroughly in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. If you have some time later, just go read those two chapters and you'll see an extensive amount of thought was given by God to the people of Israel on how to deal with it, what it, what it looks like. Very, very gross, actually. Very detailed. Um, and, but, but needfully so. But the disease itself was, it had the reputation of if somebody had leprosy, then you were, you were being judged by God. God must not be happy with you. It was, it was so severe. So that's one way that they considered it. It was judgment from God. Another specific detail that we can actually see in the text by the fact that Jesus says, go to the priest after he heals him, this was not given for doctors or physicians to heal, but even in the law, it was told, you, are, you need to deal with the priest in this case. It was such a severe, severe disease, they just thought, physicians can't heal this. This has to be something that God alone deals with, so let's leave this to the priest. So that tells you a little bit of something about the specific, the, the severity of this particular disease. 
Also notice that they don't call it a sickness even in the text. Leprosy was considered an uncleanness. The person wasn't just sick with leprosy, but unclean. Uh, A ceremonial term. Ceremonially unclean. You could not be near the people that you loved with leprosy. This, this separated you. It ostracized you. It was an uncleanness. It was vile. Some practical things that the disease did, it, it brought separation not just from your family, your loved ones, but in fact, while you had this disease, while it remained on your body, you were completely separated from the community. You, you could not participate in regular activity in your town, in your home. You didn't even live in your home anymore. You were on the outside of the city, on the outskirts. So just put yourself in those shoes for a moment. Having a disease that the society considered the judgment of God, you were vile and unclean, and outside the city. You know, they were told, tradition says that if you had leprosy, when you were around other people, you had to cover your mouth and say, unclean, 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 and warn people that you were coming. That's what you were supposed to do. That's how gross of a disease it was, an uncleanness. It's a disease that slowly eats and rots the flesh. Look at Leviticus chapter 13 just to get a a, a taste of what it talks about. Leviticus 13 verses 45 and 46 says, The leprous person who has the disease Shall, war, shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. What an existence. Have any of us ever had to deal with something like that? That level of uncleanness, that type of condition that would cause us to be seen by everyone else as unclean? The scriptures in Leviticus go on to say that clothes and and materials such as wool or animal skin that got touched by the disease would also need to be inspected periodically. They would check for the spread of the disease even on certain materials around that person. And they would need to be burned. You couldn't even keep your clothes. Everything was affected. So think about the man. So we've looked at a little bit about the disease. The disease, it's, it's, it's an uncleanness. It's horrific. We, in fact, near the, near the home where we were visiting Peace Child, there was a, a ministry that had come out of the UK. It was an old leper colony. Now they've expanded to several other medical practices, but that's, that's originally what it was. I had never seen a leper colony in my life, and there was one that once existed specifically for, the, for lepers. Think a bit about the man himself. This man comes out of the crowd. He's heard the teachings of Jesus. The throngs are about him. And this man, with this disease that we've just described, with this uncleanness, he comes out. Let's think just a moment of what this kind of man is. What is going on in his mind? Who is he? We're not given a whole lot of details, but I think that we can deduce some things based on the disease now that this man must have been desperate. 
there was desperation. Have you ever been desperate for something to change? Desperate for healing, desperate, longing for wholeness, longing for an answer, desperate. And I, I don't, like, there's, there's different levels of desperate. Like, there's different levels of hunger. Uh, children will say, I'm starving in America when they're not, right? I'm desperate for food. <laughs> no, well, there are people who are desperate. This was clear desperation because we know about the disease. We know about his existence and what, is, what it must have been like. But not only was he desperate, but he was also alone. This man comes out of the crowd probably trying to cover himself enough so that people can't tell that he has leprosy. Oftentimes that would give it away where just the eyes are showing because enough of the flesh had rotted that you want to cover everything else up. Alone and likely abandoned by family and friends and the society, not knowing exactly how long this man has had this condition, I would bet he is weary from all of the aloneness, the desperation, and the abandonment. Weary from the people that he has tried to get near and that have rejected him. Weary from carrying the weight of this alone for however long he has had this condition. Weary of being told that he is unclean and having to walk around his own community and tell people, I'm unclean? I mean, would you be weary? Tired. No doubt he's in physical pain. Probably even a little bit of numbness. So pain and numb, depending on how much of the nerve damage has already set in. All of these things. This is what is going on in the man as he comes out of the crowd. But notice what Matthew records for us. These are all just assumptions based on what we know about the disease itself. But look at what is recorded for us. Behold a leper. Now we know who the leper is, the kind of man he is, what's going on potentially in his mind. He came to him, to Jesus, and he knelt before him. And he said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So what, what does Matthew record for us? Ultimately, is that this man comes out of the crowd and he worships Jesus. That's what we're just seeing. We're seeing a display of worship from that kind of a person. With this kind of a condition, uncleanness and the weariness, and he comes out of the crowd and he worshiped Jesus. What's the first thing we notice he does? He kneels down. He knows that he's unclean, but he also knows that he's unworthy. Even in all of this physical condition that he has, he's unworthy spiritually, so he prostrates himself. He gets lower than Jesus. The man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, is right before him. He comes out of the crowd and he kneels. That's the first thing he does. Isn't that impressive? Isn't it remarkable? It's worth remarking that this man comes out of the crowd and out of everybody, he lowers himself before Jesus. What does that tell us about Jesus Christ? He is king. 
He is king. He knelt before him. What man on this earth deserves being knelt before? Nobody. Except Jesus. He knelt before him. And he said, Lord. He called him Lord. He called him Master. He kneels before him. He says, Master, Lord, you are God. He knows right away. He's, he's, he's the one who can do this. You know, and you're going to have to forgive my emotions because I have been on a mission trip for a while and it's like affecting my thinking a little bit. Um, lordship is challenged so much here in America. It's challenged everywhere, but I'm talking about, I can, I mean, you're my people. I can talk about us like this. <laughs> it's challenged here. Like we want to we wanna give definitions of what lordship means. Well, here's how Jesus is my Lord. And, and, but he may be your Lord this way, but he's my Lord this way. But lordship is lordship. If we really truly just believe that Jesus is Lord of all, King of kings, how we worship him would come out in every bit of our lives. We wouldn't be thinking about, well, well, I don't know if I want to give up this or that. I'm not sure if he's worthy of this or that. He's either king or he's not. And he is king. And this lowly man, desperate, alone, tired and weary, he knew it. I just, I just wish it didn't take such extreme circumstances to get us to believe that he is the Lord. To get us to believe that we need him as master King, sovereign God of the universe. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it takes that. And God allows sovereignly, providentially our lives to sometimes plummet to such low, desperate levels before we really cry out to him. But we have his word, and so his word being proclaimed in our midst is enough to teach us that he is Lord. Are you not Grateful that his word teaches us what many had to learn circumstantially? Don't wait to learn through God having to humble you what you could learn obediently to his word by just obeying his word. We have God's word, the account of Jesus Christ and his dealings with people, with sinners just like us. That is such a gift. He knelt before him. He called him Lord. Think about what lordship means in your life. Is he Lord to you? Is he the Lord? But he said, Lord, that was his title. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So not only do we know that he knelt and prostrated himself before him, he called him Lord, but he also knew already his power and his ability. He comes to him knowing his ability his power over disease, over all things, but specifically in his case, he knew that the ability was there. In that phrase, if you will, you can make me clean. Such an incredible statement. When it comes to physical or bodily sickness, 
we can always be sure of his power. Always. Sometimes that's a question. I know when we pray for people that are sick or we pray for things like physical ailments, it's, Christians often wonder, how, how am I supposed to pray here? Am I, am I supposed to ask God to heal? Or am I supposed to just pray, your will be done? And, and I know we've, a lot of us have struggled with that. But this is a good insight. Never doubt his power. You pray, and we pray, and we say, God, you are powerful. You are, I don't doubt your power here. You can do this. There's nothing about this that is too hard for you. The only question is, will you? That's it. It's okay to wonder if the Lord will. It's okay to leave it to the will of God and know that he knows best. Never doubt his power. That speaks of our faith in his power and ability, regardless of what the outcome is. Similar to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go into the fiery furnace and they say, we will not bow down no matter what. Even if you kill us, we will still worship the Lord our God. Whatever the result is, and that is a healthy, biblical way to approach things that seem absolutely impossible But he simply said, Lord, are you willing? So not only was he prostrate physically, not only did he call him Lord, but his spirit was humbled before him. He had a spirit of humility. Lord, your will be done. Not mine, your will be done. Are you willing, Lord? It's almost as if he's, it's like a a polite way of asking Jesus. Lord, if if you would be so kind. I know this is not impossible for you. But would you? Would you heal me? Can you hear him? I mean, think about it now. He's now in front of a rabbi, let alone a regular citizen. He just approached a rabbi. Any other rabbi in the city would have ran from him. And and he's still there. He's probably thinking, how is he still listening to me? Why is he still here? But he knows his power. He knows who he is. He is Lord. And he just simply asks him, will you do this? He also knew his superiority over the law of Moses. He knew that Jesus could not just heal him, but notice the words that he uses. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. He didn't just say you can get rid of the disease, but you can clean all of it. Make me clean. Everything that the law says that I am now to society, you can undo that. Everything that the effects of the law have had on his soul, on his, on his mind and how he thinks, Jesus can take care of all of that. In Romans 8.3, three says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, See, God does what the law couldn't do. Jesus was about to do, is about to do what the law could never do for this man with leprosy. And he did it by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. God does, through Jesus, what the law could never do for you and I. What is that? What is that ultimately What is it that the law could never do that Jesus does on behalf of you and I? 
He forgives sin. He reconciles us fully to the Father. He casts sin as far as the east is from the west. He deals with the penalty of sin. All of these things Jesus does. And this man stands before him and he knows, you can clean me. And though he greatly desired healing, this man ultimately surrenders all of his will to Jesus. If you're willing. Now let's look at the response of Jesus. This is absolutely incredible. Jesus responds now to this man. We'll read the text and then we'll just kind of think about it a little bit. He says, Lord, I will, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Now that's hard. I don't know about for you guys, but when you read something like that, on the pages, just black and white letters, you just, you have to picture it in your mind. Do the best you can to picture that scene before you. Where the man comes out of the crowd, here he is with leprosy, he's covered, he's, he, he's desperate, he's alone, he comes to Jesus, he lays himself down before the Lord. He says, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand. I don't know, I, the man's on the ground, Jesus reaches out and touches him. Absolutely amazing. Again, a rabbi would not have done that. He would have withdrawn, pulled, afraid, afraid of catching the disease. Jesus can't catch any diseases. <laughs> he can't get the condition of sin that they thought could be transmitted. Well, here's a cursed man. He's judged by God. Don't touch him, you'll be cursed. Jesus can't be cursed. He can take all of our filth and remain righteous and holy. So Jesus responds, and we know from the other gospel writers, from Mark and Luke, where there are two parallel passages here combined, we know that he responds with compassion. In those other parallel texts, it says Jesus had pity on him, and he stretched out his hand. So the compassionate heart of Jesus, it's the first thing to think about it. How does he respond? It began in the heart of Christ. Isn't it good to just remember from time to time that Jesus actually has a heart, a human heart, fully God, fully man. Perfect, holy, righteous, but with a heart like ours, yet not affected by sin. His compassion was perfect. His pity was perfect. And he saw his condition and he reached out. And so that's the second thing. He outstretched his arm and he touched him. Again, something that a rabbi wouldn't have done. But it's amazing that Jesus did that because he could have just done it with a word. He did say, I will be clean. He could have done it like that. He could have just thought about it. He could have snapped his finger. He could have done any number of things. Why did he reach out his hand and touch him? Because nobody would touch him. Isn't that amazing? What Jesus did was countercultural. It went against anything that the society would have done. He reached out his hand and he touched a man that nobody else in the society would ever touch. 
Why did he do that? For him. Because he needed that. He needed the touch, not only of another human. You know what it's like. The studies have been done. When you don't have human interaction, it's, it's detrimental to your soul. It's detrimental to your body, your whole being, when you don't get to interact with other human beings, especially those that love you. We've learned that horrible ways. And there are people that want us to continue to learn that. But Jesus, man, he went against all of the culture here. And he reached out his hand and he touched this man. He defied culture. He did what this man needed. And he did it with a heart of pity and compassion. You guys know, when we read this in the scriptures, it's okay in this scenario, in this case, for you to say, Jesus would do this to me too. And I want you to think that way. I want you to think that way right now as you're thinking about yourself, you're thinking about whatever, it doesn't have to be a skin condition because at the end of this text, we're gonna realize that this is actually an analogy. It's an, it's, it's an allegory to a deeper issue and the Jews knew it. They correlated Leprosy with deep, deep sin issues. So, who are you? What are you like? Are there people, or have you ever experienced being ostracized, maybe in any way, abandonment, aloneness? Or even just think about your own heart. You know yourself better than anyone else in this room. You know your unworthiness. You know the sins that play over in your heart, in your mind. You know the condition that you are in. Even Christians, even Christians, we struggle, don't we? We follow Jesus, but we struggle. We know we still have hearts that need to be sanctified. We think, why do we think things like this? Why do I, why do I not have compassion on people like I should? And why do I not bow to the lordship of Jesus the way he is worthy? And all of these things... What happens in our minds? We can almost ostracize ourselves. I'm not worthy. I, I failed again. I messed up. I can't believe how horrible I am. But Jesus, he would just as soon today, if you're humble, if we are humble, and we really go to him, humbled and prostrate and calling him Lord, he would reach out and touch you too. I'm so glad that God became flesh and dwelt among us because he wanted to be with us. He wanted to be one of us, like one of us, so that he might die for us. And he understands. Another thing that we see that Jesus does to respond is not only does he heal him, which, by the way, I don't mean to just skim over the healing. I just don't know how to explain it. How do you elaborate on the healing of leprosy? It doesn't say what happened. It's just gone. Boom. I mean, he could have already lost. Le you, have you ever seen people with leprosy? Like, your skin turns white and you start rotting and you lose limbs. Your body is going away. And, and Jesus touched him and the leprosy is gone. I just don't know how to comment on that. Other than, wow. 
But he tells them something afterwards that I think it's worth noting. After he says, I will be clean, immediately the leprosy was cleansed. It was gone. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. It's interesting that Jesus then gives him some instruction to obey. You might think, well, why why didn't you just heal him and let him go on his way? I mean, he would have been happy. Jesus gave him instruction. Why? He's Lord. I think so often we want just the good stuff. We just want to be healed. I mean, it happens. It happens even in a a country like in in Nepal. You, You talk to somebody about Jesus. I talked to an old Tibetan woman about Jesus along the river. And what does she want? Can Jesus give me money? That's what she asked. Can Jesus make me not poor anymore? Oh, yeah, he can, but he wants your heart. He wants to be your Lord, not to be your genie. I didn't say that. She probably wouldn't understand what a genie was. But isn't that interesting how our humanity, we want the things You might have something you're like, you know what, I would follow Jesus much more closely if he would handle this thing in my life. If he would take care of my finances or if he would pay off my mortgage or if he would heal this person or if my life could just be a little easier, then I would call him Lord. But that's the reverse. Lordship is first priority because he is Lord and life is eternal. And whatever you try to grab or accumulate in this world, you could Gain all of it. You could be the most healthy, successful person. You just don't take any of it with you when you die. He gave him instruction to obey. He gave him instructions to obey. And guess what? He, he obeyed. Why was this instruction, why was this instruction so important? Well, because another thing that Jesus was doing was actually restoring him again to society. Without this ritual cleansing by the law of Moses, the society wouldn't have accepted him back. But by going to, Mos- going to the priest and going through the process, the priest would have then pronounced him clean and the society would re- accept him back in. And everybody who had thrown him off would see that according to the law of Moses, he is now clean. Completely restored to society again. How thoroughly Jesus cared for and loved this man. And not just giving him the things that he needed. Not just loving his soul, but doing both. He loved his soul, but he also restored him physically to society again. In the Old Testament, if you read Leviticus 14 later, you'll see that there are many sacrifices that were instructed, they were instructed to give different types depending on the the cleansing and and how clean you were or how long it took or if you could afford it. It even says that if you can't afford these sacrifices, then here's another thing you can do. But either way, there were sacrifices. Something had to die in order to be ritually or ceremonially restored again. The Lamb of God Jesus Christ stood before this broken man, one touch from Jesus, and years, years of agony are gone. Jesus, the one true sacrifice, the one blood sacrifice that covers the sins of all who come to him, 
is enough. It's sufficient. Some of you need to come to him today in sincerity of heart, having thought about this man and his condition and Jesus and his power and his sovereignty and his lordship, just simply need to humble yourselves and come to him sincerely, appealing to his compassionate heart and surrendering all of your life to his will. Just simply saying, Lord, whatever you will. There are all sorts of lessons, and maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking specific things to you that I didn't even say as you kind of just examine the story and you think about your life and you think about the application. But I definitely want to make this correlation. It is without a doubt that leprosy is it's an analogy of sin. Sin is the leprosy of the soul. The way it begins, how does leprosy begin? It begins small. It just starts to want, rot one small area of your life. How has sin worked in your lives? Does it ever just rot it all at once? Or does, has it always started small? One decision, one compromise that leads to more and more and it just rots your life, rots your family, rots your home, rots your community. It's, in the, it's a similar in how it begins. It begins small. It, it's similar in its effects, how it affects you. It's numbing. It's rotting. It hurts. It causes pain. It causes others to see you in a certain way. It can even cause you to lose family members, lose people that you love. It separates no doubt you've all experienced in some way how sin separates you from somebody that you love. In a marriage, sin, it, it separates. Between children and parents, it separates. It causes, even if just temporary, isn't it painful when one lies to another or somebody is disrespects or disregards, slanders, cheats, it's a, it's a severing. Sin separates. Everything that leprosy does on the skin of a person, sin does even more on the inner being. It doesn't even compare. Spurgeon said this, I could not in your presence this morning describe all the loathsomeness and ghastliness of the aggravated cases of Jewish leprosy, it would be too sickening if not disgusting. But let me remind you that this, as fearful as it seems to be, is a very poor portrait of the loathsomeness of sin. If God could tell, or rather if he could bear, if we could bear to hear what God could tell us of the exceeding wickedness and uncleanness of sin, I'm sure we would die. Think about that. If God could truly explain to us the loathsomeness of what sin truly is, and if we could bear to even hear it, the sickening nature of what sin is and does, the description itself would kill us. The 
But thank God for the gospel. All of this kind of comes around to just give us a beautiful picture of the gospel, how Jesus Christ, the Son of God, deals with the effects of sin in this world. Jesus forgives sin through his sacrifice. He forgives sin through his sacrifice. Blood was needed for the ritual cleansing of a leper, and we need Jesus' precious blood. That's it's as simple as that. We need his blood for to cover, we need his blood to cover us sacrificially, to cover us, to make us clean. You need his blood. Faith in the sacrifice. So for, if you're not quite clear on what I mean by you need his blood, uh, that can sound a little strange. But for thousands of years, cultures have been sacrificing things in order to appease God's. Jesus Christ comes along, he sacrifices himself, his blood was spilled, and he called himself the ultimate sacrifice, the one true sacrifice, and that his blood covers sins. He appeased the wrath of his own father for us. Now you and I, we don't have to sacrifice blood offerings anymore. None of that. Jesus Christ alone. We need his blood. Jesus receives sinners. Do you not see that lesson in here? He receives sinners. As this leper approached him, he didn't push him away. Are you a sinner? Are you in need of Christ today? I heard a quote recently. There is not one person in hell that will say, I went to Jesus and he turned me away. Not one. Why? Because Jesus said, all who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. Sometimes it's just the question of whether you're truly going to him or not. Are you going to him humbly? Are you going to him with your life, with everything, and saying, I, I, I am really here, Jesus, because I need you. I'm done with me and my ways, and I, am, I'm, I want you, Lord Jesus. All who come to him by faith, he will not turn away. There's nobody in hell that, has, that can say, I went to him and he turned me away. So we need to go to him. Jesus receives sinners. And not only that, he transforms sinners through their faith. This picture of the leper being transformed and cleansed is simply a picture. It's, it actually happened, but it's also a picture. It's a picture for us as we read his word of the transformation that can happen to somebody who comes to Jesus. And through faith, our belief in him cleansed. Jesus also restores sinners. In a similar way that this man was restored back to society, restored and cleansed, ceremonially, he was restored. So are we restored and reconciled to the Father. The most important relationship in the world is our relationship to God the Father. Sin severed it. Jesus restores it. And we get to have a relationship with God. So there's just a few things remaining that I want to mention. And I want to phrase it this way. What do we need to believe today in light of all of this? What do you need to believe? What is, what's the application? What is the next step? Where does your mind need to go as we think through all of this together? 
One thing that we need to believe is that a person can no sooner heal himself from sin than he could heal himself of leprosy. That man could not do anything for himself. There was nothing he could do. That's the, that's the way that we approach Jesus. That's the way that we come to God through Jesus is with nothing to offer, nothing that we can do, having come to the end of ourselves. So if you're here today and you are not in Christ, you are not following Jesus, you do not know him as Lord and Savior, one of the first things that you need to do is just realize and believe, I can't save myself. I can't do enough to make myself pleasing to God. I can't. And from there, number two, Jesus is able to deal with whatever inner heart, loathsome sin condition you come here with, you only need to go to him. Be honest with yourself. Be honest about the things that you're dealing with and the sin that is in your heart. Be honest with the, even the sins that you are committing. One sin that is regularly committed, you want to know what it is? It is pervasive. You want to know what it is? Unbelief. Just not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is God and Lord. If you're here and you're still, and you're, you're part of this church and you're coming, but you don't believe that Jesus is Lord, that is the one thing that is standing in between you and eternal life to believe that he is Lord. So believe him today. Trust him. Whatever sin condition, loathsome as it is, he is able to deal with it. You only need to go to him just as the leper went to him humbly. Thirdly, Jesus must do all the work. Don't try to clean up first. Go to Jesus first. Oftentimes we just say, I, I can't go because I've got too much. I can't go to him yet because I'm too much of a sinner. That is the exact kind of person that Jesus loves. That is the perfect person to approach Jesus, is the sinner. Look at the leper. You want to talk about a picture of sin and the effects of the fall on the world? It would be the leper. Not only was his heart sinful, because of the fall and because of Adam and Eve, but the effects of sin are so visibly seen on a leper. Brokenness and frailty and falling apart and unable to cleanse himself. Nobody else can help him. Is that not a picture of the depravity of man? And we can't clean ourselves, and so you don't say, I gotta get more clean before I go to Jesus. Go to him. Don't delay. No more delaying. Today is the day. You simply come to him by faith. I believe you, who you are. I've seen it in your word. I see these people around me. I don't think they're just weird. Well, they're kind of weird, but I think they really believe in Jesus (laughs) and that God is who he says he is. So you believe, trust in him. And then the last thing that I think sort of just encompasses all of this as we look at the man approaching Jesus And that I want to say to you and to all of us is worship Jesus. Worship him with your life, with your actions, in your home. Not just with songs, but how you conduct yourself. How you live, your attitude, how you talk to people at work. How you talk about Jesus at work. How you live your marriage. And then when we come in here, worship. We worship him. Why? Because he is worthy. 
Because look at who he is. We're talking about the son of God who touched a leper and the leprosy was, gone, was completely gone. What is, what is Matthew trying to do? We've seen his authority in his teaching. We're beginning to see his authority in his actions, his power over all things. Guys, he's going to cast out demons. He's going to heal the sick. He's going to call the disciples to follow him in a deeper way. He's going to send them out into the world with his authority. Like we're, we're living right now as disciples of Jesus. If you're a disciple of Christ, this is, a, this is applicable to you. Because that means that he has done in your heart and in your life, spiritually, what he did with this leper. And he sends us out into this world with his authority and with his boldness and with his power to tell people about Jesus who is powerful enough to cleanse a leper and he's powerful enough to forgive sin and to restore people to a relationship with God. And it is, it is, our, it is our glad, it should be our glad duty to go into the world and represent this man, Jesus Christ. He is able. We have to ask him sometimes, are you willing? But never doubt his power. So let's go here, from here, encouraged. One, Christians, encouraged in who Jesus is. Remind yourself of what kind of savior we serve. Go to him, humbly, admitting his lordship, worship him because he is, he is king and he is Lord. And those who have not believed upon Christ, that is your only, your only task today is to come to the end of yourself and by faith in your heart, believe upon the son of God and be saved. Believe upon him, trust in him, turn from your sin, repent of your sin he will heal you. He will forgive you. He will answer questions in your heart little by little, day by day, as you grow in him. But he is Lord. Make no mistake about it. You don't surrender to him today. There will be a day that comes where you will see that he is Lord, but it will not be in a happy way. Because at that moment, he will also be your judge. Come to him by faith in the Son of God, the Lamb of God, and he will take away your sins. Amen? Our Father, we are, we are full of your word. We thank you, God, for making us more aware today of just the, the heart and the kindness of Jesus, the compassion of our Lord. I pray for a real desperation similar to this man as he came to Jesus. Lord, if there's anybody here that's truly dealing with deep heart sorrow, abandonment, pain, maybe feeling as though they've been cut off, let, this, let these words be a comfort to them. And all they need is Jesus today. God, make this church more and more aware of your goodness, 
of your sovereign power, your glorious might to save sinners like us, and that it would affect every aspect of our lives. Change us, God. Keep transforming us as we look to your word. We want to be more like Jesus. Help us to be forgiving of others around us. God, whatever sin is rotting in our souls, in our bodies, whatever sin is causing trouble, would you give us the power? Would you grant us to overcome through faith in Jesus? For you have already overcome. You've overcome death and the grave and Satan and all will one day be put under your feet and death itself will be destroyed. So I pray that we would not feel as though you cannot handle whatever situations we have in this very moment. I pray that we would come to you by faith. God bless your church. Send us out of here excited with the gospel, excited by the gospel, empowered and motivated to tell others about this Jesus and to not fear what man can do to us. Motivate us with your word, Lord. We love you. We thank you for changing and saving so many of us. Continue to do that work of saving souls for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the New City Church Podcast. For more content from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at www.bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next episode.